There's always been an innovation economy, and J.P. Morgan has an entire business dedicated to helping it thrive. By bringing together founders, startups, investors, and ideas, J.P. Morgan's Commercial Bank helps empower thousands of high-growth companies, companies that are shaping the present and the future. With tailored banking solutions on a global business network, J.P. Morgan helps innovators scale for today and tomorrow. Visit jpmorgan.com forward slash startups to find out how they can help you build your future. Products and services of J.P. Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates are subject to availability, eligibility, and applicable terms and policies. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Hey everyone, this is TechCrunch Live, where we help founders build better venture-backed businesses. I'm Matt Burns, and thanks for being here today. I think it's hard to nail the good definition of company culture. It means something different to everyone, and I think that's what makes it hard to implement once you have a definition too. Everyone knows how to define specifics like earnings per share or even the terms deliverable, but ask people what the term company culture means and you'll get a dozen different answers. I guess to me, it's how employees act when the boss isn't around or rather on the other side, how the boss acts when the employee isn't around, but I, I really don't know. And that's why we're going to talk about it today. I have with me, uh, we have Lily Lyman from Underscore VC and Mike Green from High Marley. And this is Mike's second startup. And I learned last week that when he was planning this company, the company's culture was a critical part of the early stages. And that's what we're going to talk about. And it's an important topic for Lily too. She founded a company, worked at Facebook for in growth and connectivity for nearly five years. And she's been at Underscore VC for uh, nearly five years now too. She was an yeah. early investor in High Marley and she now sits as a board observer. I'm really excited about the event today. I think this is going to be a great topic to talk about. One more thing. And then after the conversation, we're going to have three startups present and pitch practice. Now, if you want to participate in next week's pitch practice, please use the form on TechCrunch to apply. Lastly, if you're watching the event on Grip, thank you. Um, send questions over using the Q&A tab and I'll ask them. And then also, if you look at the left rail, there's a button there that says events. Click on there. It's rather clever. You're going to get a great listing of all the upcoming TechCrunch events, including the TechCrunch live events. So with that being said, Lily, Mike, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great yeah. Thanks for the invite. Of course. Now, this is this is great. Now, when we first started planning this, we were going to talk about a different topic. And then we talked last week, <laughs> and it was really clear to me that that solving for the company culture is really critically important to you, Mike. So I'm hoping you can answer that hard question. What does company culture mean? Yeah, the great question. I think a lot of different definitions on, on this one. I think I, I like to one that your know, culture is what people are doing when no one is looking. And so, like, what's going on over here right now uh, is company culture. But, but uh, you know, Lily and I have jammed on this one. We've talked about culture versus values and kind of there's a, there's a certain definite nuance there. Uh, but to, to me, it's really how you answer two questions, right? And the first question is, why do you exist? Why do you exist as, as a company? Um, and it, you know, it takes a little digging into understanding kind of you personally, how you would answer that question as well. And then the second question is, is how do we behave? Um, and it's important for founders to think about, you know, how do they behave and kind of the differentiators in, in their behavior that are uh, maybe above the norm. So those are, you know, those are the two questions, Mike. You know, which one's more important? It's hard for, mm -hmm. for me, it's a hard one to answer. Um, I think that they both need to coexist. And if you get those right, 
you know, those two, the answers to those two questions really define your culture. Yeah, Lily, same thing to you. Yeah, I think I think you both covered two of the important pieces. I think of culture as, uh, you know, for the tech nerds out there, sort of the operating system of the business or the underlying platform upon which people uh, do their work. And so similarly, I think an important question is, you know, how do we how do we behave? But I think that for me, that comes out of what do we believe to be true? Um, and then how does that inform how we behave? And to your point, uh, it should be sort of an underlying assumption um, or shared belief that guides behavior, whether somebody's watching or not. Uh, and personally, I think that culture should be something that is defined with a sharp enough point that you could sort of debate it or it's defining. Um, and there's different types of uh, values baked within that, that, uh, are, you know, they're not so generic that it could apply to anybody. Um, sure. It really should inform if you're making a tough decision, is there something, a piece of your culture and your values that help you decide which way to land on that decision? And, and I think we're talking about more than just a afternoon workshop about defining four terms that define the company, right? This is, this is a, <laughs> a larger discussion. So, Mike, when, when you're founding High Marley, take us through that process. I know you're going to tell me to start early, but in practice, what does it really mean? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, Matt, you know, this is our, our second startup. And, and you know, I, I think we touched on this the other day. To be, to be fair, the first one was all about making a few bucks. It wasn't, it wasn't evil. It was just there was no kind of mission. There was no kind of intentional culture. And uh, it was a fine... You know, it was, a, it was a fine chapter of our, our life. We're proud of it. But, uh, you know, a few few life moments and maturity, having a few kids, you know, kind of had us all thinking a little bit differently about that. that I mean, I have to be honest with you, Mike, that, that is the, the funniest way to define a successful acquisition. I mean, you guys were acquired. You didn't fail. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. uh it was fine, right? It was, it was, it was fine, but it was like, what was the goal, right? What, what was okay. kind of, what was success? And I don't think we really had, you know, anything other than a number like in mind the first go around, right? And and then we we got to the end of that. And, you know, there was no like moment of, uh, you know, there was no moment like that was that was amazing. It was just kind of like, okay, now what, right? And so more intentional this time around. I remember my co-founder John, you know, our CTO John Miller and I, uh, said excited about this new one. There was definitely purpose and passion behind it, and I wanted to really dig in on that. And John was like, Mike, leave me alone. I'm trying to build the MVP. <laughs> right, right. Um, and there was a, 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 somebody tried to turn me on to this book uh, called The Advantage. So I, got, I grabbed a copy there. It's an awesome book. And it talks about six questions that you need to ask yourself. So if you're trying to build a company and a culture as opposed to just a product, you, know, you need to ask yourself some pretty important questions. And uh, so I remember, like it was, it was required reading. I'm like, John, you got to read this book. Like Matesh, uh, we had Paul, you know, Paul there as well, Lily, and yeah. uh, we show up, and not everybody had read the book. And I remember, yeah, it was, it was an emotional moment for me. I think I, I left the, I left, you know, we'd rented like a Airbnb. We were kind of ready to jam, and not everybody had read the book. And I, and I, and I was upset. I left for like an hour. I went for a walk and came back, and I think the team realized like just how serious I was about this. I, John's such a humble guy, like fast forward four or five years, he's like, that was the best thing that we ever did was kind of define stuff up front. But it was, a, you know, it's fuzzy stuff. It's like, you know, it's not hard. It's, it's a little bit motherhood and apple pie, uh, if you think about it at the beginning, but we, uh, we felt like we did a really good job. Well, give me some, give me some terms here. What, what are these fuzzy things? What did you define at that Airbnb? 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the um, and I know we, I think we've got some slideware on this. If sure. you want, yeah, bring okay, let's was, bring up those slide decks. Sure. And, there, yeah, there were six six questions um, that we wanted to to vine, and so you know this is what we call now the High Marley One Love Playbook. Every every new hire goes through it. I actually talked about it today at our quarterly kickoff, uh, so we talk about this all the time. And, um, Let's go to the next slide, Julio. Yeah, the next slide hits on the six questions. The first one is like, why do you exist, right? Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty, you know, pretty powerful question to think about. The second question is, how do we behave? These are our values. Uh, then we get into a little bit more tactical stuff, like what do we do, how we succeed, what's our strategy, what's most important right now, like kind of focus, um, and then who does what. But the first two questions are the ones I mentioned. Uh, that I think if you answer these right, they set the foundation for culture. So the first one for us, you know, why do we exist? You were in the insurance space, right? We were, we're empowering insurance companies to communicate better and insurance exists to protect people. Um, so we came up with this purpose for High Marley is to protect people simply, ultimately by empowering insurance to, to communicate simply. Um, and it took us a lot of tries to kind of get that right. I know it's a simple term, but we- Can you say it, can you say it again for me, Mike? Yeah, to protect people simply is our, is our singular purpose. And the way we do that, I think the next slide touches on our, our mission is empowering insurance to communicate simply and ultimately uh, you know, protect what people love. So you know, protection is like a rung on Maslow's hierarchy, right? So it's a pretty important, important thing um, and people probably don't think about insurance this way uh, right now, right? So it's like a big problem to solve. You know, uh, protection and love are not words that <laughs> come to mind when people think of insurance today, right? So it needs to be big. It needs to be you know, kind of powerful. It needed to kind of make people stop in their tracks and something that we can all get behind. So we still talk about this, you know, mission on, on a weekly basis today. Um, and then, yeah, the second, you know, the second piece was our values. And we landed on, we landed on three. Uh, Lily might remember this. I think both Underscore and Hi Marley were going through some value stuff. At the same time, yeah. Time, right? um, so hold, before we go into that, I'm curious about the timeline here. Was Underscore already uh, an investor in you guys when you did this? Unders what, yeah, what, which, what do you remember uh, about, about this, Lily? I mean, I've got a recollection here. But... Yeah, I'm not sure if you had defined the value specifically, but you had defined the culture and the, per you know, the importance of culture and what you were building. And I think, you know, Mike and I were going down memory lane the other day, and I was laughing because when he first came in to pitch us, uh, I guess this was end of 2019, um, you know, it was an impressive pitch, but we gave him the feedback, and I think we used the word folksy um, because he had spent so much time in the pitch talking about uh, the type of company that he was going to build and the type of people and the type of culture, which is incredibly important, and it was very attractive to us, um, but he almost uh, pitched that. It was such an important part of the pitch. He almost skipped over this massive market and this huge opportunity and some of the exciting, what I'd call meat um, of an investment opportunity, which you know, transparently, usually we get the opposite. You know, we get too much of that, not enough of that. Okay, well, what are you really building? Um, and I think what it signaled to us, even though we, we gave them the feedback that it was folksy, and I don't know how that landed. Um, but uh, but it also was a signal that he was building something for the long term. You know, this wasn't just a quick product or a quick flip of a company. Um, you know, it, you don't you don't spend that much time thinking about culture from day one if you're not in it to build something big right. and enduring. So it struck us. 
So I, I think Mike said it well earlier that that's the difference between building a product and building a company, right? right? Is you have to define these things. So Mike, why was it so important? What was it from the first startup that really influenced you to do this for the second one? Yeah, I think, you know, a few, few life uh, events that just kind of uh, was like, go, go do something great. Go, go leave, you know, sure. A better place. And, and then I think the second part, I remember tw- when we were just starting High Marley, there was a, uh, a customer I worked with, had a lot of respect for him, had worked in, you know, in, in the industry for like 40 years, was probably in his la- last chapter before retirement. And he said, you know, I just want to work with people I enjoy <laughs> working with. Like I'd gone through a 40-year career where he felt like he never had that. And it was like eye-opening to me, right? And, and it was like, wow, like, well, what, how do you do that? Like, how do you create that? And started kind of geeking out on culture and, and values. And, and we had taken a stab at a, some generic values at first and, and some that like, frankly, I, like didn't come natural. There was one that wasn't like natural for me. I wasn't that great at. And we were like, these are our values. And we started you know, talking about them. And someone's like, My, I don't know if you guys are behaving that way. <laughs> and so sure. we had to like, tweak them and get feedback and kind of dig deep into like, who are we, how do we behave? And, and ultimately we came up with these three values that we thought, you know, as co-founders and kind of early team members, we all felt were, were quite inherent in us, a little bit different, you know, um, you know, define us a little, little bit different. Well, take, take us through the slide right now. Yeah. So, you know, the first, the first one is, is be humble. And so, you know, this one's, really about, you know, being open-minded to learn from anybody anywhere, right? And, and uh, I don't know, this is probably something that came from the parents. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, the, the co-founding team, I think, you know, lives, lives this pretty well. Our early team members live this pretty well. And, um, you know, it's just something that we thought if we do this, we're going to learn faster, right? We're going to learn faster if we go in with this mindset. We're going to build trust faster. Um, but it's like that, you know, that on its own wasn't enough. So you know, we're in the insurance business. You combine like an entrepreneur and an insurance guy, you get like a really calculated risk taker. So mm-hmm. Max Courage, <laughs> the, the whole concept like Max Courage is like dream big, but like take calculated risk. And, and actually, if you take calculated risk, we believe you can dream even bigger. Right. So that, uh, I got to stop you. That, that was my mom's mantra to me as a child. She was an insurance agent for 20 years. And that, that's pretty much what she put into me. Is that right? That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Cool. Yeah. 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 And insurance, you know, the insurance folks in insurance are a special kind of, kind of people. So that, that's awesome. <laughs> um, Sorry to take it, you off there. No. Yeah. The, la- the last one's Ubuntu. And this was the Celtics use this Nelson Mandela use this term. Um, it's a little more than teamwork. The whole concept is like, let's understand each other's purposes as best we understand them ourselves, right? Passion. And mm-hmm. then let's let's align our own purpose behind a greater purpose, right? So we can talk a little bit more about that. I think Lily and I learned how to do that with each other uh, a little bit throughout the, the last few years as well. Well, I, I can see what Lily is saying here, that it does kind of come off as folksy, even if this is the second generation. You ready? Are you ready to invest now? Are you <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping Lily can can help translate this into VC world talk. And what? How do you identify these things that are important? 
Yeah, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that struck us, and I do think it influenced um, our excitement to invest, I think we sort of already had it, but um, when we, I, I remember visiting the High Marley team that was out of a WeWork um, at the time, I think there was about seven people. Uh, and I think I was sort of already in the face of chasing Mike with a term sheet, which tended to be my behavior over the next three years. But um but we met Steph Bishop, who was um, someone that Mike had hired within the first seven or eight hires. I think it was mostly engineers. I think there was one sales guy, Brian, and then Steph. And, uh, you know, Mike and the team had brought on a head of people at the earliest stages. And and to be honest, that was unusual. You don't normally see that role or that profile um, brought onto the team that early. Typically, I had seen it at sort of a series B or beyond. Um, and I think to me, that was a signal of how serious they were in investing in culture um, and again to establish a culture that could endure um, and so I think you know it's an, it is an important piece in an investment decision because part of what we're thinking about is can they attract great people um, along the way and at every stage that's incredibly important and Mike and I have spent a lot of time sort of thinking about people and how do you bring them in and how do you attract people who you know are you're punching above your weight and hires uh, and there's some specific examples I think most recently we brought on an incredible independent board member and, and people always ask me, well, why did you invest? What's unique about this company? And I think the deliberate investment in the culture, which is sort of driven by these values, actually becomes a differentiator um, and, a, and, a, and a superpower in a busy market, and particularly when you're competing for talent. You know, we sure. think about what is the employee experience that you're offering? You got to pitch it. Um, and the culture piece, I actually think, becomes a way that you can attract incredible talent. And I will say that, you know, Mike is too humble per value, number one, uh, to talk about this. But I do think his superpower is being able to quickly identify people's purpose, maybe sometimes even before they're able to, um, and seeing and understanding if it aligns with what we're trying to achieve. So um, it is definitely a superpower of Mike. We've had some talks about it as we've gone through over the years of, of, uh, of aligning there. So yeah, Mike's white balance, color balance is a little off. His cheeks are getting red as you're embarrassing him. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping, Mike, that you can explain what this early hire as a people person could do that you as the founder could not. Yeah. Well, I, I remember, so yeah, I remember when, you know, Lily and Michael with underscore first met Stephanie and they were blown away by her, her, her energy. And I think, you know, that the thought that we had engaged her so early on, I chased Stephanie around, not with a term sheet, but an offer letter <laughs> uh, for some time that she was, she was part-time, working part-time on the talent side you know she had a couple couple daughters that she was busy with and she wasn't you know interested in kind of a full-time gig so it took a few months but i remember having her in the room with my co-founders we interviewed her and she left the room and everyone was just kind of blown away you know she was like she she kind of lived you know some of these values better than we did and it's like well that's the person we need to help kind of you know bring in new talent like go go sure. uh, ex explore kind of people with these kind of common values and she started part-time and then she led recruiting and now she's our chief people officer and she's been a you know, complete game changer uh for the company uh as a result i trust her implicitly with kind of holding these values uh up high as we bring in new people but also you know as, as we coach ourselves including myself on behaving these and living these as, as, as best we can. So that's a, that's a special person. I think if you can find that person early on, it can be a total, total differentiator. Yeah. Now what, what values did you want to promote and did these change over time? So the, yeah, Lily and I've talked about this and Lily chime in. I think 
culture changes, but values shouldn't, if you define them the right way. Now, like, what do we mean by max courage exactly? What is it? Yes. Dream big, calculated decision. Leave that open enough for debate, right? Um, so I, I think it's important to kind of like have them, have them defined enough where it kind of differentiates you, but also have them open enough so you can evolve as a company. You bring on somebody new that's got a different diverse perspective. They're additive to your culture, values stay the same, but they may get us to think about uh, a value differently than we had thought about it in the past, which is a really cool you know, thing to experience. Lily, you're nodding your head quite vigorously over there. <laughs> I strongly agree. I think I think Mike said it well. I, you know, and and it's something that I caution people when they're hiring. You know, the, there's eight million articles written about watch out for hiring for culture fit, because if you don't define it well enough, then you know you're putting yourself at risk of all sorts of types of biases and like hire like. But if you think about value hiring for value fit, it's it's more defined and it creates more room, as Mike said, to augment your culture and hopefully. Mm -hmm every hire that you bring in, particularly at an early stage, it can have sort of an outsized influence. But I actually think that's true even at a later stage. You do want your culture to um, be augmented by the diverse perspectives that you're bringing in. But as Mike said, you have a shared set of value system um, that I think allows that agility that is um, that can be and probably should be in culture. So it allows, it allows for diversity, but within a set of shared values. Yeah. I think it's super important. Yeah. So how do you call out individuals that are running against this culture? Say, say that one more time, man. Well, let's say, so let's say there's an individual or an employee that doesn't align anymore ah. or uh, how do you call them out? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of geeking out that on this other book, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the audience know and heard of radical candor, um, but being able to call, uh, some of that, out. the behavioral callouts are much harder than like the black and white kind of performance related, uh, stuff. So I, I think, you know, I think most importantly is to call out the good behavior, the good examples, the good story. So actually Stephanie leads this every two weeks. We talk about a value story with at least one individual from the company that exhibited, you know, be humble or max courage or Ubuntu. And we just put that up on a pedestal. Uh, we, we've got in our Slack channel, we've got little icons, one for each of the three values. So if there's a story, somebody will, you'll see the little be humble <laughs> icon pop up. So it's more about kind of promoting the good. Um, you know, certainly uh, there, there's been moments where you're in a group and somebody says something and at the end of the uh, meeting, there's an opportunity to maybe pull them aside to that you know, the way that came across might not have been considered humble. <laughs> Here's how I interpret, how is your, how are you intending that comment? Here's how I interpreted that comment. Like, what do you think? And then, you know, that gives them an opportunity to, you know, uh, give that some thought. But yeah, it's important stuff. I mean, we, we, you know, we put kind of values ahead of performance, right? We'd rather have a high performing you know, person on the behavior side um, that needs a little help on the competencies, competency side, right? Learn some new stuff or uh, then the other side of the spectrum, high performer, low on values, like that doesn't work out in the high Marley culture, yeah. Well, I, I guess the, it ultimately comes down to sales though. So how do you make sure that your customers see all these values? Mm. 
Yeah, I think you know that that one. Um, how do they see it? I think it's a feeling. I don't know, Lily. You, you you've you know kind of experienced the high Marley culture. I, you know the the best compliment that we've gotten from our one of the best compliments we've gotten from our customers, even when our product went in, in its infancy and it wasn't like you know a whole product, let, let's say, right? So it wasn't del- delivering the best user experience. Mm-hmm. The, the like, we love your people. Like you know they listen. We know it's going to get better because they're they're humble. Right, they're listening. They're understanding. They're iterating. Like two weeks ago, we've made progress in you know for the last couple of weeks on this, um, and they just want to like we've gotten feedback that we we just want to hang out with the high Marley team and think about the future. Right, so I think that's a you know I think that's a good sign when you when you get that. Um, but yeah, there's different customers with different cultures, and some of them I think we jive really well, and some of them are a little bit unique and it's important for us to appreciate different cultures as well. You know, not everybody is for and exactly aligned with the high Marley right. way, but I think we put it out there. Here's, here's who we are. And um, I think our customers respect that regardless. Now, What's Lily, you, you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to tell you, I think that the, the, also the nature of your business is to improve your customers, customer experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, you know, that in and of itself is such an important sort of mission and the fact that, how they interact with you as your customer matters um, because it's also a reflection of how you can help them do what they're trying to do with their own customers better. So it's um, I actually think in your business in particular, that positive experience of you guys um, is even more important because it's a reflection of how you're going to deliver the value you're promising. Sorry to cut you off, Matt. No, it's fine. But I was, I was going to ask you, Lily, what's the best way to pitch this to, to an investor? I think, um, I mean, I think demonstrating that it's defined is useful. Um, you know, putting the work in to actually do that is something that we don't often see at the earliest stages. Um, you know, we often will ask people, what is your next critical hire? What are you looking for? Um, and I think being able to articulate that, not just in a function, but also sort of the type of person you're trying to bring in, uh, again, sort of can help reflect the culture that you're trying to build, or even if you're even thinking about that. So that's something that we ask um, you know, we often ask like, what is success for you in this endeavor? Cause it is so personal from a founder perspective and you can quickly get a sense of, um, what is their why? I mean, building a startup is incredibly hard as everybody, um, has can see the journey. And so, uh, the underlying motivation matters to get through the highs and the lows. And so you can tease out sort of pieces of the cultures and the values in questions like that of sort of what is your why? Why are you doing this? I often ask if you weren't doing this, what else would you be doing? And if you have a clear sort of sense of purpose in what you're doing, the way that Mike and the team has, um, that shines through in those answers. And if if founders don't have really strong answers in that, you can also kind of see um, that perhaps there's cultural pieces or motivational pieces that aren't aren't aligned to what we're trying to do, which is back long-term iconic companies. Um, and we want companies that are going to be here for a very long time. And so those are some of the things that we look for in founders in the early days and some of the ways that we tease out some of those culture questions. There, there's a question from the audience. Can, uh, can different cultures sometimes reach something together that, that becomes special? You're nodding your head, Lily. Yeah. <laughs> I think certainly. I mean, I mean, I think that's part of the power of diversity and diversity of thought and diversity of um, ways of being. Again, if culture is sort of how you do things, there can be a superpower in bringing together different hows 
in terms of what you're trying to achieve. But I do think you have to figure out um, how you will operate uh, in trying to achieve something together. So again, I, if culture is something that surrounds shared values, I'd go back to making sure you have a sense, at least some overlapping shared values, if you even if you have different cultures and trying to achieve something. I don't yeah. might have a different perspective. Yeah, Mike? Know, yeah, plus one on on that, you know, I believe culture starts in the boardroom as well, because, um, so, you know, I got, we had the luxury of being able to think of it that way from, from the beginning. And I remember somebody saying, make sure you don't have any white knucklers in the boardroom. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so I, I think that's just when the culture is not a match, it, it, becomes, it feels like white knuckling, it feels stressful. Right. Um, and so that was something, I mean, obviously underscore high morally, but really important for me and Lily, right? And I remember, uh, we didn't talk about this one before the call, but I remember when Lily, Lily shared, um, it was a, a thesis maybe, you know, or a, a document from college where you, uh, you wrote about Emprender, right? Yeah. Um, my business school essay for Stanford. It is a school essay, and, and uh, I think that does that translate to entrepreneur? In, yeah. Uh, yeah, means to endeavor basically. It's like the verb form of entrepreneur in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. So we we got vulnerable with each other over the years. A lot of different moments through that, but that was something that she shared with me, and you know, kind of she shared her purpose, like with you know, creating value in the lives of others is like what mattered to her, and so like I think there was. So now, you know, Lily's on the board team. We were lucky to have some other board team. And we think of it like a board team. Like, it's not a bunch of people that put a check in, right? It's like, uh, it's, a, it's a diverse group with awesome, you know, uh, set of you know, differences, but also, you know, shared values. Like, we talked about the values. We even sent the, the value deck to, to uh, investors and prospective investors along with mm -hmm. the investors. It was cool. We, we sent it via DocSend. So you, sometimes you can see like some, some investors spent a lot of time in the culture stuff and some like ignored it. So that's like a sign as well. Uh, but like Lily always cared about that. We're lucky to have a couple other investors that care about that stuff. And it makes such a difference. Uh, you know, culture in the boardroom kind of, you know, transcends the entire company. Well, I, I got to say that I really enjoyed this conversation and you two are some of the nicest people I've talked to so far in this show. It's been an absolute joy. Um, I, I think the culture that you've defined here is evident, Mike, you, you are humble and, and you do all these things. And so it, it definitely starts at the top with you and, and goes all the way down. One wonderful time. This has been great. Okay, so with that said, it's time to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go into our pitch practice. Now, we've selected three different startups from the audience that are here to pitch. The first one is Bree Thomas. We're going to bring Bree on, and as, as Bree turns on camera and the microphone, they have two minutes to pitch, and then Mike and Lily will give them four minutes of feedback on their presentation, storytelling, and, and stuff like that as well. Bree is here to, to uh, present a balance. Are you there? I am. Hi. Hi, Bree. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Well, let's let's start your timer now. You have two minutes to present your company. Great. Hi, I'm Bree. I've been in tech for 20 years, uh, but for 10 years, I was a bartender. And what I learned from that experience is that gig workers live and die by their schedule, constantly adjusting their lives around it. And today's financial apps, they don't get that. Traditional budgeting, meaning plan out every dollar and stick to that plan, is baked into the culture and the features of today's tools. But for a gig worker, 
their plan is constantly changing. Hey, budgeting, it's an important skill. We should all know how to live within our means, but for a gig worker, it's only half the equation. Today's tools don't help the gig worker do one very important thing, project cash flow. And that's the problem that Balance solves. We help gig workers forecast their financial futures so they can make better decisions about how much they wanna work, spend, or save to reach their goals. And we provide that forecasting in a context that makes sense on a calendar. Because for a gig worker, time is money and their schedule, it dictates both. We have an opportunity to make financial planning for the gig worker as habitual as making their schedule. And we'll make money when the gig worker achieves their goals through that planning. Balance is free for the gig worker and the data we collect on their spending habits, working patterns, financial goals, it has value. We can sell that data in various ways, whether in aggregate or specific to companies and marketers who specialize in financial products. There are 59 million gig workers in the US today and the gig economy is growing three times faster than the US workforce as a whole. This group takes a different view of their money and it's time they had a tool that did too. We're about to kick off fund a fundraising round. And if you're as passionate about this as I am, I'd love to chat. Thank you. That was wonderful. It's like you practiced this. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Lily, let's start with you. Sure. First of all, I, I thought that was excellent. Um, and just to highlight why quickly, I mean, you clearly, you know, routed, you know, it's driven by personal experience. You clearly articulated a problem, clearly articulated a solution um, and why it's needed now. And I also like that you, you know, made sure you touched upon the market size. So I think you, I really think you hit on the big things. Um, if I were to add anything, if you had 12 more seconds in your time, which you probably didn't, but um, you know, it's always useful to know sort of where are you uh, in terms of, uh, you just said idea phase. Do you have a product that you've tested? Like what work have you done to sort of stress test um, this hypothesis of a problem and a, and a potential solution? So that would be the only thing that I would add, but I really think you did an excellent job. Oh, sorry. The other thing I'd add is if you are fundraising, sort of what is the ask or sort of how much you're looking to raise? Um, again, you might need 12 more seconds to do that, but uh, I would add that in there too. Uh, I'm curious, Bree, how much are you raising? Uh, we are raising 1 million and I'd be happy to talk about traction as well and where we are if, if that's of interest for this yeah, exercise. Let's, let's do a minute of that. Sure. Uh, so where we're at right now is we've done over 100 customer interviews um, and we have tested a prototype. In two weeks, we're going to have the first version of our alpha. That is going to include being able to connect your bank, run scenarios, and we'll map recurring transactions as well in that. Um, and then we've had a preliminary partnership conversation with a gig platform uh, that's interested in featuring us as a preferred partner when we're ready to go to market. And they uh, boast 600,000 gig workers on their platform. Uh, we just started with this as an idea um, in uh, late Q4. I came on full-time in Q1, so we've been working really hard. That's great. Mike, any feedback? Oh, Lily's. I think this is officially the first time I'm I'm on the other end of one at one of these, and, and Bree did way better than I ever did in a minute. So awesome, awesome work. Um, I mean, you know me. I like I get with the folksy questions. I'm curious, like what what's the what's the significance of the of the brand balance? What's the significance of the brand? Yeah. Why? Why is? Why do you name it that? 
Oh, uh, <laughs> so um, so the product itself, um, as a as a very first start, will project your daily bank balance on a calendar for as far into the, the future as you want to see. That's where we're starting, because um, when I was a bartender many moons ago, that is how I figured out my cash flow. I would print out a thirty day with all the boxes on it calendar. And that is how, um, to be honest, my uh, my roommate and I, who was also a bartender, that is how we would figure out our cash flow. And back then, most of our life, we were concerned about how do we get to our next vacation in Mexico, and that's the way we had to do it. <laughs> that's still my focus on life. <laughs> All right, that's fantastic. Great. Anything else, Mike or Lily? No, no I think. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Bree, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank nice you time. very much. Thanks, Bree. Okay. Next one up, we have Matt. And Matt is coming with, coming to us with inksearch.co. And the URL for that is inksearch.co. And I'm going to paste it into the uh, grip chat room right now. Matt, are you there? If you can turn on your camera yep. mic and there you are thank you very much uh for letting me here uh, i don't see the timing but hope it will start soon oh start start as soon as you start talking there you go <laughs> thank you very much let's talk about tattoos tattoos are all around us just think how many of you who listen to me have tattoos or crave to have one but not falling short on facts Global tattoo industry is worth $150 billion. 30% of US citizens has at least one tattoo. Tattoo market is growing 9.7% per year as millennials love tattoos. And there is higher search volume in Google for keyword tattoo than hairdresser or doctor. But digital tattoo world is untouched. You need to spend on average two weeks on searching idea or inspiration via Instagram or Pinterest. And when you found one, it occurs artist is located in Berlin or Rio de Janeiro. You end up just with a dream. The question is how to change it. That's how. InkSearch is first dedicated AI search marketplace that connects artists with tattoo lovers. We are already number one in the European Union. We helped over 160,000 people to find artists, and we have more than 20,000 bookings per month. We made tattoos easy, simple, and quick to find online. Our revenue model is based on subscription fee for artists and success fee for clients. Within end of the year, our monthly revenue will hit $50,000 per month. Our company is already backed by three VCs within total investment of $800,000. Now we are looking for additional $500,000 for 10% of equity to boost our growth in the US market. My name is Matt Lagoski and our unfair advantage is team built by tattooed savvy experts who worked for Google, Samsung and Rocket Internet. And cheers from Milano because I'm in the European Union. Uh, Thank you very much. And I'm waiting for your questions. Very good, Matt. And before we get started, Lily and Mike, I got to ask, do you have tattoos? <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> Matt does. Matt does. I do not. <laughs> Thought about it when I was 18 and then chicken. But for death. sure, a lot of your friends has. They do. Absolutely. So, Lily or Mike, do you have any, any feedback? 
Mike, do you want to go first? Or you... I mean, I love the numbers. You know, it was, it was awesome to, you kind of laced in the, the market, the numbers, the growth, a few different kind of, you know, uh, variables that, like got me thinking about the, you know, the, this big, bigger market than I would have guessed. It's a growing market. I think I, you know, the problem, the problem, the problem seems real. The problem and opportunity seems real. So I'm definitely in, in, intrigued. I think, you know, I, I always go to the question on why, like, why is this important? Um, you know, so I'd love, love to hear, you know, kind of your, your thoughts on, on this, like what's the impact when you get when you guys realize kind of your full vision here and why is that good of course um just to be true when i worked in for rocket internet in berlin i was struggled to find tattoo artists when i worked there i need to go to tattoo studio by bike when i was intern talk in german with people to had to get a tattoo so just imagine your friends looking for tattoo and ending up with the random tattoo studio with decision for all their life we want to educate yeah. the, the customers and we want to help them to find the best ones. Just yeah. imagine that you're finding the without booking hotel on the other side of the world, like Berlin for you. It's super hard. But if you have such a tool, you can find directly who has the better, best pricing, who has the best style and where you can do it like in two weeks of period of time or two months of period of time. So as a tattooed professional, I believe that this world will really grow within the 21st century as tattoo becomes art, not only tattoos. Cool. Very good. Uh, Lily? question I would have is how you think about building the marketplace, you know, in a marketplace model, there's always a chicken and the egg. Do you go after the artist first? Do you go after the people searching for the artists? Um, what's worked for you and what are you going to invest in, in order to build, uh, continue to build that marketplace? Of course. So we are a SaaS enabled marketplace. We uh, do everything for Tattoo Studio as a software, and we help them to get more clients. So Tattoo Studio operates on our system. This is more than 4,000 Tattoo Studios in the European Union who use our system as their first tool. And just to imagine, most of the Tattoo Studios in the United States use Google Calendar to do so. They just manage their calendar, nothing more. Their inventory, their clients, reminders, and so on. So what we do, we grasp all the attention from the beginning till the end. And we want to build our mission is to be everything in one place for the tattoo industry, especially for the artists and for the client to educate them, especially the newbies. Very good. That's very cool. I would weave that part into your pitch because I think it also demonstrates a sort of a recurring revenue model, which is interesting. You're almost like a vertical SaaS platform, but for tattoo parlors, yes. I'm understanding you correctly. Um, and so that's a attractive sort of anchor from a business model perspective. And you can see a go to market there um, to get that side of the marketplace um, before you get, get both the artists and then the, the end customers. But that's, that's cool. I would weave that into the first two minutes. Yeah, of course. That's, that's I'd, I'd love to like weave the point in around like uh, your, what percentage of tattoos don't come out the way that the, the customer wanted it to <laughs> like, like Maybe, Matt, maybe even like if you're like, you know, you can invest in getting a botched tattoo and you could show them like a little yeah. look. That might be over, going overboard. But but I, I, I love when you when you hit on that problem, like, oh, yeah, the quality and like this is a permanent mark here. Like I want it to I want it to be the right thing. Like that definitely hit home with me as well. I believe you will have one to two in a few years <laughs> and you will see how we are helping with it on your skin. <laughs> through ink search, through ink search. Love it. All right, Matt. What, Thank you what, very much. Matt, are you in Germany right now? I'm in Milano. 
Oh. I live in Milan. We have our VC in Milan. So I'm half Polish and half uh, Italian. Well, thanks for joining us. I know it's late there. So I really appreciate it. Thank you very it. much. All right, Matt. We'll see you next time. All right. We have one more company and this company is Phyllis is going to present it. It's Shop My Pork, shopmyporks.com. Phyllis, are you there? Cool. There you are. Turn on your camera and your mic. I see you now. All right. Phyllis, you have two minutes to present your company starting now. Hi, I'm Phyllis Hong, the founder and CEO of Shop My Porch. I'm a maker first and foremost, meaning I make handcrafted gifts from home. I've also sold on Etsy for, for years. During the pandemic, because everything was shut down and shipping was unreliable, I created a marketplace with a local focus to allow makers to promote their goods and then have buyers choose to either pick up the product off the maker's porch or have them delivered. We started as a Facebook group in San Diego made improvements to the Etsy model from fees to logistics. Then we built and proved several concepts that we use today across our web, iOS, and Android platforms. Shop My Porch is all about building up local communities. Strengthening all communities by building up local commerce is our North Star. There are dozens of amazing stories that I could tell you, but one of my favorites was about a young boy who needed comfort. His mother reached out to Shop My Porch and created a hunting for post. She wrote, my son Eli has Down syndrome and he has surgery today. We left his favorite Vespa blanket at home and because of COVID, we can't go home to get it. Instantly, two makers in her area responded that they could make it and deliver a custom Vespa blanket to the hospital in just five hours for free. After Robin and Eli got home, word of this kindness spread through the Shop My Porch community and our generous makers were inundated with orders. I didn't start with a business plan or really think that this would turn into a business. I went in with my gut feeling on what my community needed and dove right in. In just nine months, Shop My Porch amassed nearly 25,000 users with a minimal marketing spend. We discovered that local buyers love to connect with, um, they love to connect with the local community. And. All right. And right now we are asking for a $3 million raise to build up our platform across, um, along with our UI UX across three platforms. Very good, Phyllis, your time's up, but thank you so much. And I, I went to your site, put in my zip code and I'm in the middle of Michigan. There's somebody right by me that that's on here. That's so awesome. Yeah, this is really neat. Okay, great. Lily, do you have any feedback? I do. Um, well, first of all, I, I love your why. Um, sort of the why you're doing this, why this matters to you um, and what you're trying to achieve that came across very loud and clear, very authentically. And I think that's one of the most important things to have come across. So I thought you did that very well. Um, I liked the personal story, uh, both because it aligned with your why, but also showed sort of tangibly, how does this come together? Um, what's a real use case of the value prop? So I thought that was effective as well. Um, you know, I would, if you had had 20 more seconds, I'd be curious on sort of the raise that you, you know, as with my investor hat, I'm always curious, okay, what are the milestones, what you're trying to achieve in this next chapter with this fundraising? Um, what do you hope the business looks like? What are you focused on from either a team building or product building or customer building perspective in this next chapter? Uh, so milestones would be, um, if you'd had, you know, a few more minutes, then that's, that's a piece that I would bring in. Um, and again, if you had more time or if you were sort of iterating on your deck, I would think about also 
Um, why, why is this approach going to be more effective than some of the other players out there, like a Facebook community, you know, Facebook marketplace or things like that? And clearly there's a personal touch piece. There's a maker piece to it. So I, it came across a little bit, um, but, it, but that would be a piece I continue to be curious about why, why is this going to be such a better hook um, for the people you're trying to attract? But I thought you did a great job. Thank you. Great. Mike? Uh, that, yeah, plus one on, you know, just kind of pulling on the heartstrings with the personal story and kind of the local. I mean, we've been in kind of, you know, the last couple of years, you know, it's been a unique world here. So, um, I, you know, I guess I agree with Lily. I, Lily's taught me a thing or two on how to think about early stage. You know, she talked about team and market. And, um, you know, so you love to hear the team passionate about this. And then I was kind of going like, how, how big could this be, right? Like, how big could this be? And I think Lily's point on like, how do you differentiate from some of the big players and, and why would why would customers choose you over over the alternatives? I think there's definitely something something there. How big could this alternative marketplace uh, be is where my head goes. So like so, a few more numbers, love the 25,000 user, users. That was great. Congratulations on that. That's no small. Uh, and I wish you luck on, on this raid. Thank you. Yeah, great. Well, well any, anything else? Um, I guess I, I guess when I start stumbling, um, we have 25,000 users. Um, what our local buyers love is they love to connect with the local makers, all while saving on shipping, keeping money in the community. And many times they get their custom items within just a day. Um, so our hunting for a feature, um, it, our average order value for that is nearly double of our regular, say, an e-commerce purchase. And hmm. so that is our that is yeah. our um, MVP right there. Yeah, that's that that's fantastic. I'm glad, glad you got that in. Hmm. Well, Phyllis, thank you so much for your time. I, I do appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And and Mike and Lily, this has been an absolute treat. You learned a lot today about Collecture. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that internal documents about your com company's values. Mike, that was great. So until next time, I'm Matt Burns, and this is TechCrunch Live. We'll see you next time. Bye now. All right. Thanks, Matt.